this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. Uh, let's pray. Father, in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, pour out your grace on us that we might hear, we might learn, we might go from here in the power of your spirit to accomplish what you intend among the Jewish people and all people, that the name of Messiah Jesus would be exalted among the heavens and among our nation. We trust you. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. If you believe it, you may be seated. Okay, everybody seated. That's good. Shalom. I'll speak in English. This morning we're going to talk about Christ in the Passover. And that may make perfect sense to each one of you, but I grew up as an Orthodox Jew in Kansas City, right in the middle of the U.S. Christ was for you, the Gentiles. Passover was for us, the Jews. They didn't go together. But by the end of this morning, if you're not already convinced, I pray you will be convinced that Christ and the Passover and Jews and Jesus dovetail wonderfully. We're going to talk about how Jewish people celebrate the Passover in these days, how Jesus celebrates and instant comes and goes, doesn't it? Fade. Same trouble Jesus had with his microphone. Uh, we're going to talk about how Jesus celebrated the Passover and on that sacred night of the Last Supper instituted what we just received, Holy Communion. We'll talk about Jews for Jesus, the organization with whom I've worked for four decades. I'll show you pictures of my wife and kids. We'll see how far we can get. Let's uh, look in the Bible at Exodus chapter 12, would you please? If you have a smartphone, you're already there. If you have a dumb phone, you're like me. I'm using this. Oh, and it's on screen. There we go. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying, this month shall be the beginning of months for you. It's to be the first month of the year to you. That's kind of odd. Jewish people have had, maybe you know, the holiday Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, it happens every year September. It's the new year for Jewish people. It's lunar, just like the Chinese New Year just happened, or is still happening. Why stop celebrating? The... uh, But this is the beginning of a new calendar. In fact, it takes place just now. About two weeks from now will be the new moon, and Jewish people will start a new diary, even though Rosh Hashanah happens. Look, what's the difference? We have two new years. We actually have four new years. Don't ask. Uh, But I'll answer this one. Rosh Hashanah is the anniversary of creation. 5,781 years ago, God created the world. Take that, university. And uh, so we anniversarize that every year on Rosh Hashanah. But now we're getting an anniversary of creation. I'm, I'm sorry, of redemption, when God delivered us out of Egypt. Well, look, if I asked you, 
Michael, when were you born? And you'd tell me a certain date. And when I'd say, when were you born again? You'd tell me another date, probably. Because you not only have your birth, but your new birth. That's sort of what this is like. It says uh, that on the 10th day of the month, speak to all the congregation of Israel and tell them on the 10th day of the month, each one should take a lamb for themselves, one lamb for each house. If the house is too small, share together. Jewish people are multi-generational. We used to live like that. Some places we still do. You don't have to teach Jewish people about communal meals. You have a lot to teach them, but not, not that. It says, your lamb shall be an unblemished male. Take it from the sheep or the goats and keep it until the 14th day of the month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. That's just sick. Really, you're going to take... Think about it, Daddy. You're, you're gonna, on the 10th day of the month, you go out and collect a lamb from the back 40. You bring it in, and you're inspecting it for the next four days. But your kid is not inspecting. Your kid is falling in love with the new household pet. And then you say, yeah, on the 14th, we're going to kill your new pet. Good luck with that. There's no redemption without such sacrifice. Then it says, this is even worse, then it says you're supposed to take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses where you eat. Now that's horrible, really? Uh, Next Sunday, by the way, when you come to church, it'll be the first Sunday in March, make sure you stop at Bunnings, pick up a bucket of blood, we're going to come do some painting around the church. It needs a little touch-up. Imagine, paint the door with blood. If you didn't comply with Moses, well, really God's command, your firstborn would have been dead in the morning. Now the rabbis teach that it took one full year and nine plagues to convince, for Moses to convince the Egyptians to let my people go. And it took one full year and nine plagues to convince the Hebrews that Moses was the boss. Because if you didn't comply with that, your kid's dead. So they had to do it. We'll talk about that more. Then it says in verse 8, you should eat it with... uh, You you should uh, eat the lamb that night, roast it with fire, eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. (laughs) That's the whole menu. Now, those three are required, and every Jewish home that celebrates Passover involves those three. We'll talk about those more specifically. You can see we've added lots more stuff, but in every home, that's what's supposed to be there. Verse 11, this is how you should eat it, with your loins girded. How many of you girded your loins before you? (laughs) Brothers. It's always one of the brothers. All right. Um, Now, I've never worn a dress, so I've never run in one but I hear it's not so easy. So what men and women in those days wore gowns, robes, if you will. Pharaoh's army's chasing us. You want to run quickly. Hussein Bolt. So what you would do would be to pull up a rope in between your legs, tuck it into your, and your cloak into your belt, thus creating trousers. So you could get out. That's girding your loins. That makes sense. Sandals on your feet. Middle Eastern men take off their shoes when they eat. Here it says put them on because you're going to be 
running. We have pillows we relax in modern days, but in that night it would have been more like drive-through. Take, I mean, it was gone. Get out of there. Because Pharaoh's army is running. What does it say? You should eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. For I'll go through the land of Egypt and strike down all the firstborn in the land that night. I'm not a Mormon, not that you're worried. But I want you to hear this. You become like what you worship. Ponder that. Mormons take that way too far. But you worship God, you become more like him. When we see him, we'll be like him. There's something about that. You become like what you worship. So when God says here, against all the gods of Egypt, I will send judgment. Maybe that'll help you understand why God was dropping all these plagues on the Egyptians. Because they'd become like the gods who were copying the judgment. Does that make sense? The blood, verse 13, will be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass. You want to repeat it? I will pass over you. That's what the song does. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Now think about it. You, you probably have always thought, well, of course, every Jew would put blood on the door and save their kid. But maybe because some of you grew up watching the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. And you think Moses looked like Charlton Heston. Maybe, maybe that's the problem. Because who's not going to listen? Charlton, let my people go. Yes, sir. Okay. Now. But I want you to think of Moses looking more like Woody Allen. Or Adam Sandler. I want you to get a picture of another Jewish guy. Because it's, a, it's no miracle for three million Jews to follow Charlton Heston into the wilderness. But it's a miracle if even 30 Jews even listen to Woody Allen. And then to follow his neurosis into the... Whatever. It's, you just can't imagine. So I want you to think of Moses like that. Because it's a miracle that we would follow him. He wasn't anything that we should follow him. That's got to get that picture right. The blood will be a sign. And when I see the blood, I will pass over. That's where we get the word pass over you. Put blood on the door in the right way. See, if a Jew didn't do that, his firstborn is dead. And if an Egyptian had put blood on the door and believed in the God of Moses, his firstborn would have been spared. So it wasn't genealogy that saved the Jew. It wasn't that we're Jews. It was the blood of lambs that saved the Jews. Don't miss that, because you miss that, you miss the lot. Blood of lambs. We'll talk more about that uh, later on. It talks about getting leaven out of the house. We'll talk more about that in a minute. So this is called uh, a seder in Hebrew. Can you say the word seder? Seder means order, order of service. And this same seder is done, be it here in the central coast, or in Sydney, where I've lived for 23 years, in Russia, Israel, wherever Jewish people are. And I'll try to draw out some symbolism that I think will mean a lot to you. If you miss something, just let it go. Don't worry about it. Um, but this will be significant for you today. Seder, order. This same Seder happens all over the globe in varied ways. You know, there are religious Jews and there are <clears throat> less than religious Jews. And uh, some will just skip to the part, get over all that ceremony, let's just eat. And others will make it a four-hour ceremony. I promise you'll be out by three. Don't worry. You'll be right. 
Now the woman of the house lights the candles to begin the evening. And she brings light to the festival of our redemption. I think it's fitting that a woman should light the lights. For it wasn't the will of man, it wasn't the seed of man that brought light to the world, but the will of God through the seed of woman. That true light, true redemption has come to all mankind. So the woman would pray, Baruch Atadonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kedishanu B'Mitzvotav Etzivanu Lahadlik Ner Shel Pesach. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us by your commandments and commands us concerning the lighting of lights. Now that's what Jewish people pray. That's what every Jewish woman would pray who celebrates the Passover. There's nowhere in the Bible where God commands us to light lights, but it takes place in the evening and it's sensible. There's no electricity way back then. You get it. So the the rabbis made this prayer that makes it commandment. It's very hard. And you might run into some Messianic Jews or Messianic Gentiles People who want to be, here's the term, Torah observant. And they will say that if you really want to follow Jesus, he said, obey my commandments. And the the commandments are all about Torah, the five books of Moses, and we got to comply with all those. Most of those folks who are Torah observant don't really know the difference between whether God commanded or the rabbis commanded. I grew up as an Orthodox Jew. I know which is which. And God bless the ones who try otherwise. But uh, if you find one of those or two of those or a group of those and you don't know, just contact me. Bob at JewsForJesus.org.au. I'll talk to him. I'll talk to you. Really, I want to help. All right. Now, there are four cups here. Each member of the family has one cup, which is filled four times with wine. Wine is a symbol of joy. Four cups of wine. (laughs) A A lot of joy. Now, each cup... Each cup represents a different aspect of the redemption that God gave us in Egypt. The first is the cup of sanctification, or the Kiddush cup. Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. We sanctify, that is set apart, this cup, this meal, even our lives to the Lord. Then my wife comes in with a pitcher of water, pours it over my hands into a basin, and I have clean hands, just like an Older Testament priest would have done at the time of the ritual slaughter. I'm wearing white. This is not um, something Anglican. Uh, This is, (laughs) although I guess it could be. This is the kittle, the robe that would be worn by the father of the house. White is a symbol of... Now you're thinking purity, that's Greek. A symbol of priesthood and royalty, and the father is priest and king in his home. So I'm to represent God to the family and the family to God. And in the same way, we wash the hands, before, just like the priest would have done before the ritual slaughter. He would have, he would have uh, washed in the laver and, and uh, cleansed himself. And the night of the Last Supper, Jesus took, took these robes off. And poured water into a basin and showed what a true priest would be, a servant of all as he washed the disciples' feet. So this is called a Seder. This, friends, is a Seder plate. It always has six compartments on it. You can see them uh, if you come up later. Kind of looks like they're for deviled eggs. They're not. Okay, so these are the items that would be on the plate. This is pretty stock standard worldwide, the items that are on the Seder plate. 
And each of us uses these. These are entrees that we would use. Grab parsley. Every member of the family would take a sprig of parsley and immerse it here into the salt water. We've got a large pitcher of it. But we would dip into the bowl and then we'd eat salt water. Well, the parsley represents our life, our vibrant Jewish life in Egypt. We call it karpas in Hebrew. And the salt water represents the tears that we cried as we waited for God to send his Messiah for us. Our life was immersed in tears. This wasn't a pleasant time. We're remembering slavery and deliverance. You don't know joy unless you remember that from which you've been delivered. Amen? Yeah. This is the chazeret. It's an onion. And you know that what would happen if I peel this back? Yeah, I'd cry. Again, reminding myself of the pain of the house of bondage. My grandmother was born in Ukraine. Always had a chazeret that was a... um, horseradish root and then she would grind it and then she'd pour in vinegar and then the beetroot and then for about a block and a half you knew it was Passover (laughs) this is the first of the three required items this is (laughs) freshly ground horseradish well done uh, sister good good stuff this is great yeah you're supposed to take a large scoop and I'll do it that night I'm not doing it today this is horseradish. This is the bitter herbs we're required to eat with the Paschal lamb. You eat this, you'll, we call it, it's like Jewish Vicks. There's a battle that goes on between the horseradish and your nostrils and sinuses, and the horseradish always wins. You'll remember the bitterness of the house of slavery, the house of bondage. You'll remember it. You know, sometimes you read the Bible and your eyes just go across. the. You won't just skip that. You'll get it. Then we do this odd ceremony where we take some of the moror, the horseradish, and mix it here with the charoset. This is an apple mixture. And we eat it together. The apple mixture, the charoset, has apples and cinnamon, some other spices, some nuts, some wine, some raisins. <laughs> Delicious. Especially after the other entrees we've been eating, this is fantastic. Now, by its texture and by its color, it represents the mortar that was used as we made the bricks and built the store cities for Pharaoh, Pithom, and Ramses. So it represents hard work. And you're thinking a question, wait a minute, Bob, I can follow you with salt water and onions and horseradish representing the house of bondage, but now the good stuff represents slavery? The rabbis have an answer. When you're looking today at what is, yes, life can be tough, difficult, but when you look down the road and see your redemption drawing near, even the bitterest of labors can be sweet to the taste. Some of you buy it. Some of you don't. Okay, this is a hard-boiled egg, usually. And it's scorched with the fire from the candle or in the oven. This is now representing the Chagiga, the special holiday offering. Chag is the word for holiday. The Chagiga that represents the holiday offering that was brought every year while the temple stood. This was the lamb roasted with fire, fire emblematic of judgment. The lamb was judged with a judgment due us. Some kind of transfer occurred. More about that in a couple minutes. Then we drink from our cup the second time. By the way, we don't have four 
glassware in front of us, just one, but it's filled four times. I thought this would help remind us. The second cup is called the cup of plagues. But before we drink from this cup, we take with our finger or a spoon 10 drops out and put them on our platter. You should see some places, you know, they're they're like OCD people with 10 perfectly right around the plate. And then there's the kids who say, yeah, that'll do. (laughs) And then pour, pour it out. Either way, we're diminishing the cup. We're diminishing the wine, aren't we? And we are remembering that God brought 10 plagues on the Egyptians. Blood, frogs, lice, etc. And we are, remember, full cup, cup of joy, fullness of joy. So we're diminishing our joy when we remember the sufferings even of our enemies. Now think about those plagues with me for a minute. Nine of them could not touch the Jewish people. A Jew would have good water to drink. His Egyptian neighbor would have bloody. A Jew would, uh, would be in light. His Egyptian neighbor would be in darkness. But the tenth plague was different. What was the tenth plague? Death of the firstborn. That's right. Now, that, not the firstborn is not the plague. It's just, I just thought I'd fill you in. <laughs> I have three adult children and four beautiful grandsons so far. We'll see what they keep doing. <laughs> so no, the firstborn is not the plague. Anyway, the, uh, the death of the firstborn, that could have happened to the Jewish people, and that would have been an awesome plague, a horrible plague. So God gave a commandment, in fact, a whole series of commandments. We remember with this, the last item on the Seder plate, to me the most significant item up here, this is the shank bone of a lamb. We call it Zoroah. We're told in Exodus 12 to eat lamb, but most Jewish people don't eat lamb on the Passover at the Seder because we don't have a temple into which to bring the sacrifices anymore. We merely represent that with the shank bone, with the Zoroah. Let me rehearse it for you, if I might. The sacrificial system, as we used it back in those days, the father, remember the priest, would take upon himself, perhaps by means of a prayer, the sins of his whole family. He would, in a way become sin. Then he'd lay his hands on the lamb and transfer or impute the sins from himself into the little lamb. Now the lamb became sin and the wages of sin is death. So the lamb has to die. He'd slaughter the lamb and collect the blood there into the basin. Not a bowl this time, but the threshold of the door. One for each of the households of the Jewish people in Egypt. But it's not enough that the blood was spilled. He had to take a leafy branch a bunch of hyssop, and he would take the blood and paint it on the two doorposts, and then again the lintel, that's the top of the frame, from which it would splash back down into the basin so that effectively all four edges of the door were sealed from the angel of death who came through the land and would pass over any house that had the blood on the door in the appropriate manner. That's where we get that word. Now, I don't like symbolism for evangelism, but for you who already believe Watch this. The father took the blood, and on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house, he applied the blood of the lamb. The pure, the spotless lamb, by the which we were delivered out of Egypt, we received the law and went into the promised land. Isn't that what happened to you? To each one of you who's come to believe in and follow the Lord Jesus? He died on a cross, much more wicked than we put on steeples or wear around our necks. And when he died, it affected the whole world, but it did not affect your world. 
Not until you took the hyssop of your own confession of faith and applied the already spilled blood of Jesus to the doors of your own heart so you could be delivered from your own bondage, what the Bible calls slavery to sin. Receive the law written on your heart this time and go into the land of all God's promises of the kingdom of God. That's taken the message of Passover personally. Amen? Now, I tell this story every year by means of a book called the Haggadah. Can you say the word Haggadah? In uh, modern, it'd be Haggadah. Don't, don't worry. That's Ashkenaz versus Sfard. See, I can throw words in there just to make you confused. All right. The Haggadah is the prayer book that we use on this night. It's got psalms and prayers and Bible readings and pictures and four questions. The four questions that the youngest child always asks the papa, and then by means of the answer, the papa tells the story of the Exodus. So the child would sing, Unleavened bread. Why is this night different from all other nights? On all other nights, we can either eat leavened or... Unleavened bread. Tonight, the only kind of bread they let us eat is unleavened. Why? You know, if you had to eat this for eight straight days, you'd ask the same question. Come on, when do I get my, what do you call the cross bun, hot cross buns? I can't do it. Every year, they, I never get them. So you'd say, so what's with the leaven? What's with the anti-leaven? It's like God is a master chef and he hates yeast. What's that about? Well, you like sourdough bread, sourdough, yeah, with a little avo, $18, look at that. Um, who, who came up with that ridiculous price? Anyway, uh, sourdough, my grandfather was a baker. Let me see if I can help you who don't know how it works like I do. You start with, the, how do you make sourdough bread? You start with something cleverly titled starter. And, and then, then uh, you take out some, you save that for later, and you work with this batch. You're going to add some salt and sugar and, I don't know, chocolate. Whatever you put in your bread. Anyway, there you go. And you put it in the oven. Out it comes. There's a loaf of bread. Great. You finish that after a few days. You want some more? You go back to what was the starter. You take out a little more. You scoop it. It saves it. You add some leaven to it. Watch it grow. And then you come and do salt and sugar and all those things. And so for a month, two months, five years later, you're still using some of that starter. Whatever that was, it's in, what's this? This one has a little bit of that in it. Does that help you understand the Apostle Paul saying that in Adam all die, that somehow we're related to that original starter that didn't start, it started okay, but then just went off the rails. So some people say that leaven is a symbol of sin. And that makes sense, especially the way leaven makes it grow. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I don't think I have I don't think I have that for for the folks at home. 1 Corinthians 5, this is the apostle Paul writing to the believers in Corinth about a man who's sexually sleeping with his stepmother. He says, that's not kosher. Get this guy out of church. Not for the sake of your being a goody-goody club, because the guy comes back in in 2 Corinthians. So it's for the sake of restoration and getting rehabilitated. 
reformed. In verse 6, he does something weird. He says, he switches to a Passover image. He says, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? So clean out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, just as you are already unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. The apostle says there's one person in the entire human record who's unleavened without sin, and that's the Lord Jesus. Because he died and rose and dwells within y'all. I don't talk like that. (laughs) But it works. Yeah, it really works. Y'all. Yeah. Don't don't say that again. Because he is our Passover who's been sacrificed for us, get the leaven out. Get the sin out from the community of faith. And therefore, if a guy is stuck on sin, get him out until he gets cleaned up and brought back in. That's the idea in 1 Corinthians 5. That's the idea in your life and my life. Let's live clean. So when I think about unleavened bread in the Older Testament, you know why they had unleavened bread? Because they had to leave Egypt quickly. They'd been there 400 years. One day Moses comes home and says, pack up, we're leaving in four days. (laughs) Good luck with that. I've been in Australia in the same house for 22 years and change. And renting don't ask, the whole time. And our landlady told us three weeks ago she's selling the house. My wife understands this. Pack up and get out. We're fairly settled. If you want to pray for my wife specifically, I mean, me too. You know how women nest, men go hunt. Yeah, she's the nester. So she's stressed, seriously stressed. You can under, you understand, so you'll pray. Her name is Patty with a Y, and uh, you could pray for Patty with an I if you want. It doesn't, doesn't matter. He, he, tra- he speaks the language. Hmm. We'd been in Egypt 400 years. Pack up and leave in four days. So we didn't have time to put the yeast in and wait for it to rise. We took the dough as it was, put it in the oven, pulled it out. It looked more like pita bread or um, tortillas than it did the big old puffy white bread of Da Vinci's Last Supper. In the Older Testament, unleavened bread speaks of the haste with which we left Egypt. In the Newer Testament, it speaks of holiness without which we won't see the Lord. So I try to teach that to my kids by using those scriptures and this symbol called a matzah tash. Matzah meaning unleavened bread, tash meaning pocket. And it's actually three pockets. Let's see if you can see them. One, two, three compartments in this one bag. Three, yet one. Don't get ahead of me. At the beginning of the Seder, you're ahead of me. At the beginning of the Seder, the middle matzah is withdrawn, sometimes square, sometimes round, but always flat. Can you see the stripes on it? Some of you can. Can you see? This you might see. Can you see the perforations? Yeah. Come up later if you'd like to eat the horseradish. Or... For morning tea today, we have matzah with horseradish. Okay, so you can see 
the perforations. This is probably not the way it looked back in the days of Yeshua. But it is the way the rabbis require matzah to look in these days. So like Caiaphas will use their words. At the beginning of the Seder, the middle matzah is broken somewhat in half. Half is returned to the matzatash, and the other half is wrapped traditionally in a white cloth. It gets buried somewhere in the house. Tuck it away, we play a little treasure hunt game. It's called the afikomen. Afikomen, it's a Greek word, don't ask. Greek. Afikomen, leftovers, dessert, that which comes later, or he who comes later. So we bury that somewhere in the house. Children run around, try to find it. You know what that'd be like. You know, finally they've been sitting, they've been eating, they've been behaving, and finally they say, go try to find the afikomen. Yes! And they run Whoever finds it's happy for all kinds of reasons. One, because it's fun to find anything that was missing. But two, because the rabbis say the afikomen now represents the lamb that was brought in the original exodus. Therefore, every member of the family has to eat of this piece. You don't eat of this piece. You haven't fulfilled any of the obligations of the Seder. You offend in one point. You're guilty of all. You've got it. They need it. So you sell it back to dad for some pocket change, and then he distributes it to the rest of the family, which was a lot of fun when I was a kid. Now I'm the dad and the grandfather, and my children and grandkids hold out for currency, large, large currency, or Sydney Swan's tickets. Now you might go, should, I should move that to Mariner's tickets. Anyway, you... Uh, which are getting easier to get. Anyway, now you might go to a rabbi in Bondi, where our office is, down in Sydney. You, where, did, where did you think we would be? Bondi, Lakemba? We're going to be, um, so... <laughs> you go to a rabbi in Bondi and say, what's with the three yet one bag, the matzotash? What does that represent? And he might say, well, it's the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But when was Isaac unleavened, broken, pierced, striped, buried, and brought back from his burial place? On the Tosh are three Hebrew words, Kohen, Levi, Israel, the priests, the Levites, the Israelites, the three divisions of worship in the Jewish community. But when were the Levites broken, pierced, striped, buried, and brought back? You with me? You see a greater three, yet one we call the triune God himself. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, so that the middle one, not the top, not the bottom, the middle is the Lord Yeshua. Unleavened, no sin. By his stripes, Isaiah said, we'd be healed. The prophet Zechariah said, we, the Jewish people, would look on him whom we had pierced. And we would mourn as one mourns for an only son. When they took him down from the cross, they wrapped him, if you will, in a white shroud and buried him from our eyes. And to most of my Jewish people, that's still where he is. Jesus was a man, a good man, a prophet, teacher, rabbi, but just a man. The end of all men is death. The end of death is the grave. They, like you, believe Jesus died. They, like you, believe Jesus was buried. Come on, Bob, finish that story. I mean, without the rest of that story, you're a bunch of fools being here on a Sunday morning. And you're the worst for leading them. 
but you're not fools. Because he's not still buried. And in just one month from now, we're going to shout, Christ the Lord is risen today. Hallelujah. You don't even have to be Pentecostal if you're watching at home. Uh, you, I mean, you should be. Anyway, um, <laughs> but this hallelujah rolls right out of you. Why? Because Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. That resurrection changes everything. And like you and I who've discovered him, who was buried. There's great joy inside us like the child who finds the afikomen. He who comes later, who's ransomed back to the father for the price of his own blood and distributed to each of us who believes and partakes just like we did moments ago in taking the Lord's Supper. I break the afikomen into small pieces, give it to the kids, to the family, all of us who are gathered to have the Seder together. Jesus took bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, Zegufi, this is my body given for you. Not broken, by the way, given. Given for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the third cup. Miss everything, but don't miss this. The cup after the meal is the cup of redemption. This is the cup that points to all the dripping bloods on the doors of houses in Egypt. How many were there? Three million Jewish people gathered together in small groups, in connect groups, in family groups. Say 300,000 houses with blood dripping. Can you see it? You can't not see it. And that was our deliverance nationally from one country to get to another. Yeshua took the same cup. That was the memory of that and said, this cup, it's the new covenant. In my blood, shed for the remission of the sins of many. Drink this as often as you will. and Do this in remembrance of me. He took a memorial and made another memorial. New covenant, what does that mean? You know that phrase is only used one time in the entirety of the Older Testament? One time. Jeremiah 31. Behold, there's that Bible word that means yo, as we'd say in Philadelphia. Yo. Days are coming, says the Lord. Jeremiah 31. When I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel, not with Gentiles in Narara, but it's okay, you're in on it. Not my idea, but it was, it's okay. It's good. Welcome. I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel. Not like the covenant I made with them when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them. But this is the covenant I'll make with them after those days, says the Lord. I'll write my law in their hearts. They'll all know me from the least to the greatest of them. For I'll forgive their sins and remember their iniquities no more. The new covenant for which we'd been waiting for hundreds and hundreds of years... Jesus took the cup and said, stop waiting. The covenant is here, and it's in my blood. Every covenant has to be initiated, consecrated with blood. And Jesus initiated and installed himself as Lord of the new covenant by dying for us. Wow. The cup 
that reminds us of the blood of Egypt, the blood in the bloods in Egypt by which we were delivered, the bread to remind us of his body given for us. That's a new covenant. That's a greater hope. It's a greater redemption. A few more prayers are prayed, a few more songs are sung. We get to the fourth cup, the cup of Hallel. Hallel, like hallelujah. And after four cups of wine. No, uh, uh, my father invented some songs. I don't know where they came from, but there they go, four cups. Yes, even children have four touches of wine on their lips. Yeah, we do that. If you understand the third cup that you've been redeemed, if you understand you've been redeemed, you can't help but sing, oh, sing of your Redeemer and his great love for you. They went to the Mount of Olives that night singing a hymn. Wasn't amazing, although it could have been. No, it was probably Psalm 113 through 118, the great Hallel, praises to the Lord. The stone which the builders rejected became the chief cornerstone. They would have been singing that as they went to the Mount of Olives. A couple more things to cover, this comfortable looking pillows and this final cup. Let me take a break for a moment and comment on Jews for Jesus, for whom also I'm here just for a moment. Would you take that newsletter you received and inside it you'll find a white card and you'll see that it's perforated. No, there's no symbolism to that. It just makes it easy for you to bend on that perforation and then tear. Feel free to do that just now. I'll be watching. No, go ahead, bend and tear. Uh, The larger card is for me after you fill it out with your name and as many details as you want to give me. If you're watching at home or in jail or wherever you are today, um, feel free to write to Jews for Jesus Australia, you'll just Google Jews, Jesus, and Australia. It'll get right to me. That'll be fine. The small card is, it's got our um, post office box and not the email address. Well, there you go. That's, that's 19th century. Okay, there. We'll, we'll get back to updating those in due course. But hold on to that small card, would you please? And use it as a prayer reminder to pray for the ministry As we go around the globe, we're in, I don't know, 15 countries now. We're in Budapest and Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, New York, Sydney. We're all over the globe. And I hope you'll keep praying for us. We don't only come out to churches on Sunday. We go throughout the week back at our bookstore in Bondi. We're in Johannesburg. We're in London. We're sharing the good news of Jesus one by one with Jewish people. That's what we do. And this affords me the opportunity to get you on board with us so you can pray for us. Feel free to donate to us. Please don't give money to Jews for Jesus. If you're a member here, of the, well, first, if you're not yet a believer, we don't, we don't want your money. We want, why don't you give your heart to the Lord? He, that's what he wants. Don't give us money. We'll just have to send it back to you. We really, no, we really do that. If somebody says, I'm not a believer, um, but I just love your cause. And we get those now and again. No, well, and also don't give money to Jews for Jesus if you're a member here at, do you say C5? I know C3, oh, Narari, yeah. 
But I say C3 Central Coast, it just sounds like it should be C5. I can, I can do that? Okay. Don't you do it. Your pastor says no. All right, here we go, C3 Narara. If you're a member here at the, at the church, make sure you're supporting the church first. Don't give what belongs here to an agency like ours. Uh, tithes go here. And make sure you're faithful in that regard. And I like the way you had so many ways to give. I don't know why anybody would not do that. Then if you have extra, hope you do. Hope you have a lot extra. And you can support a faith mission like ours. Just put the amount there on the front of the card. And we'll be glad to receipt you and thank you. And just like, I got this at Bunnings, the square. At Bunnings. I didn't have to go to Office Works. I got it at Bunnings. I didn't have to go to Apple. This is a square so that you can, because tradies use it. That's, that's why. I bought it at the tradie desk. Anyway, if you want to donate or buy products after the service, uh, feel free to use your credit card. If you want the Christ in the Passover book, which is back there, or DVD, imagine, um, or my testimony, how I, as an Orthodox Jew, came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, and even pictures. I don't know. There you go. You might want that. Um, what can I ask you to pray for? Specifically for the mission? Two things. Can I ask for two? Thank you. We're opening an art lounge in Bondi. We've converted one of our rooms. It's like a bedroom size, not huge, but we've painted and track lighting and hanging system and new floor and all that. And we're going to invite Jewish artists to showcase in that art lounge, Bondi. And that's going to open 1st of May. We're going to have them for three weeks. Jewish people who don't necessarily believe are going to showcase their art and invite their friends into our shop to come in. And it's going to be a pretty neat opportunity to love and serve our Jewish community. And, you know, if you're an artist, you know the worst part is that you have to pay whatever it is. We're not going to charge them a penny. They're just going to come in and showcase their art for three weeks. And um, So pray for that ministry, which is brand new, and it's pretty exciting. Second of two, prayer requests specifically. I'm, I'm not here forever. I started the mission 23 years ago. I'm not f- forecasting anything immediately. I've still got legs. I'm still going. Uh, but reality is I need a team to take over. And I've got some staff who are phenomenal and great, a 26-year-old single Jewish woman from New, Z- New Zealand um, who's over. And, and I've got a couple other guys who are considering or who are co- just looking at the opportunity. We just need to build the full team. So you could pray for the mission itself, that we'd have the full complement of staff. There's no success without a successor. That's real. That's probably too much, but there you go. You get a you get a bonus. All right. So why are these pillows here? For tired preach. No. Um, in fact, it's the fourth question in the Haggadah. The fourth question is asked every time. Why on this night? Every other night we can sit up or recline, but tonight we have to recline. Why? Well, a slave has to stand and serve his master, but a freed man can rest and be at ease. And we who've been redeemed by the power of God in the name of Yeshua, the name of Jesus, we know this peace, don't we? Passes all understanding. And John the Apostle, the night of the Last Supper, reclined 
into the one who would be his redeemer. From this very comfortable place, at the end of the Seder, the youngest child rises, goes to the door, and opens it in hopes to see someone there. Not just any someone, a very particular someone. We have a cup filled with wine, a pillow, a place setting just for him. That's the cup of, and we open the door for, Elijah. If Elijah comes right on his coattails, will be the one he's announcing. Elijah will say, Nachamu, Nachamu Ami, comfort, comfort ye, my people. Prepare for the Lord is coming. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Repent, the kingdom of heaven's at Sound familiar? Jesus said, To those who can receive this, John the Baptist is Elijah. Luke said he came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Here he was in the river Jordan, baptizing people for their sins. Over the hill came his cousin. He told his friends, Stop what you're doing and Behold, there's that word again, behold, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What a weird thing to call your cousin. Here's the Lamb of God. Nobody before, nobody since had ever or has ever been called Agnus Dei, El Cordero de Dios, the Lamb of God. Nobody. John called him that to a group of Jews who understood it was Passover time. You don't introduce him at Passover as the Lamb of God and mean that he's going to be the King of Kings. You mean his destiny is death. Behold, that's the Bible wake-up word. Don't miss this. The Lamb, not a Lamb. Not first century Lamb, multicultural. You have your Lamb, I have my Lamb. The, the one, the unique, the only, the lamb. You introduce someone as a lamb at Passover, you're saying his destiny is death. Like a lamb led to slaughter. Behold, the lamb of God. This isn't man's lamb we vote on, delegate, go represent us to the Almighty. This is God's lamb sent down to humankind so we could be born again. Behold, don't miss it, the one and only lamb who's going to die for you. It's God's idea, not ours. And if you do that, he'll take away the sin of your world. That's my message today. Behold, don't miss it, you online. Don't miss it, those of you here in the chapel. Don't miss it. That's our word. That's our, that's our message to uh, the last Saturday of March when the men gather. Behold, the Lamb of God, men, don't miss it. That's our message on Wednesday at the ladies' fellowship meeting. Don't miss it. The Lamb of God has come. He'll take away the sin, singular, of your world. What's the sin? Unbelief. And he'll fill it with faith. Behold, that's how it works. It's not how religious you are. I'll I'll fast more. I'll tithe. I'll, I'll go to church more. That's good. God bless you. But the way to be born again is to behold what God did. To look at what God did, to look at the one who was lifted on the cross and give your life to him. If you've never done that, right where you are, right where you are, say something like, Father, forgive me in Jesus' name. Something like that. That's all. Don't worry about the words. Just bow your heart. Say, God, I want to be born again. I need to start over. You're my hope. You're the reason I need to live. You've died for me. God painted this picture 3,500 years ago so that you shouldn't miss it. Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago so you shouldn't miss it.
This church gathers so you shouldn't miss it. Jesus died for your sins, rose from the dead, and we celebrate that resurrection every Sunday and as often as we can. Why? Because he died for me. Own that. Take it personally. Let the blood of Jesus spilled 2,000 years ago be applied to the doors of your own hearts and be saved today right where you are. Brother Chris, thanks for letting me come. I think they're gonna, the musos are going to come and lead us in some final chorus or music. And I appreciate the chance to come and share. And thanks for letting me be the opening batsman for your, for your Israel and the church conversation. And dear friends, if I can help you over this time, just write to me, bob at jewsforjesus.org.au. I'll be happy to help if you've got questions about Romans 11 or Jews. How do I witness? Whatever. I'll be up the back. All the best. Shalom. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.